My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Just a couple of weeks ago, while being very careful not to actually use the word recession, Canada's finance minister gave us a window into how she's feeling about the upcoming months in Canada's economy. I personally, as a mother and wife, look carefully at my credit card bill once a month. And last Sunday, I said to the kids, you're older now, you don't want to watch Disney anymore. Let's cut that Disney Plus subscription. So we cut it. As you might imagine, with inflation sitting around 7%, groceries more expensive than ever, and economists being much less hesitant than Christia Freeland to use the word recession, the idea of just cutting Disney Plus didn't go over well with many Canadians. But it did highlight some important questions. If we are headed for a recession, and there is still some difference of opinion over that, where will we feel it first? How bad might it get? What are policymakers like Freeland and the Bank of Canada doing to prevent it? What could they do but aren't doing? And finally, because I'm no economist and most likely neither are you, how does a tailspin into a recession manifest anyway? What should we be watching right now for clues about next spring's economy? And what do those sectors tell us? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Jim Stanford is an economist. He is also the director at the Center for Future Work. Hello, Jim. Hello, Jordan. Speaking of uh, future work, I'm going to ask you the Mm. big question right off the top. Is Canada headed for a recession or not? I think we are. And it's not just Canada. It's probably most of the industrial world is going to experience some kind of downturn in 2023 largely because of these incredible jump-ups in interest rates that we're seeing in in Canada and and most other countries as well. That's really kind of like a cold bath for economic activity. Uh, Consumers and businesses uh, start clawing back their spending as a result of higher interest rates. And uh, because it's happening everywhere at once, you're getting a kind of magnified global impact. And Canada will not be immune to that. So I'm not an economist, obviously. But from what I can understand, you may have stated that pretty directly, but there seems to be a lot more disagreement about the immediate future of Canada's economy, and as you mentioned, the global economy, than there usually is. Is that fair to say? Uh, Well, I mean, uh, economists were put on Earth, uh, Jordan, to make astrologers look good, okay? So (laughs) you have to take any predictions that economists make, myself included, with a big grain of salt. 
Um, but uh, I actually think there's been a kind of growing consensus among most economists. Uh, most of the major banks in Canada, for example, are forecasting a recession of some sort next year. The IMF uh, is projecting the biggest uh, global slowdown uh, since the turn of the century, worse even than the global financial crisis in 2008, 2009. So uh, I think the general view is uh, we're definitely headed for some kind of uh, of a recession. You know, whether it's a kind of a short, shallow flattening out, uh, that's what the Bank of Canada is hoping for, or uh, an actual genuine lasting downturn, you know, that would last for uh, a year or two before the economy started growing again. That's what has yet to be determined. But uh, I, th- I think it's pretty clear that uh, we're going to have uh, uh, a decline in real GDP. That's how economists define a recession next year. And my fear is it's it's going to be a, a severe one, similar to the uh, recessions we had in the early 1980s and the early 1990s. And in fact, for similar reasons, both those recessions were caused by dramatic increases in interest rates. And that's exactly what we're doing again. This is a, a sequel, if you like, a painful sequel. I want to understand a little bit more about the degrees of a possible recession. You know, you just mentioned uh, that a negative GDP is kind of the definition of one, but you also referred to a severe recession. Uh, what constitutes that? What numbers are you looking at to say, okay, this is a mild recession or versus a severe one? Right. Uh, well, the, the so-called technical definition uh, that, that most economists use uh, is that if real GDP declines for two quarters in a row, a quarter is a three-month period, and our GDP statistics are gathered on a quarterly basis. So if you get two negative numbers in a row, then you're in a recession. That's kind of the conventional definition. Now, that's, you know, really a simplistic kind of way of looking at it. There's lots of other things happening. The U.S. economy, for example, declined in the first two quarters of 2022. So by that definition, the U.S. was in recession, but it, it wasn't really in recession. And, and their, you know, their job market was still growing and other things were still happening. Um, so... Uh, in terms of whether it's severe or not, that's really just a, a matter of judgment. So you could have uh, what the Bank of Canada is expecting is uh, kind of a technical recession where, yeah, you might get two quarterly GDP numbers that are negative, but they wouldn't be very negative. They'd be close to zero. And then you'd get positive growth again. Um, now, that is still a painful event. Let me stress, uh, even just stopping GDP growth for a year leads to a very significant increase in unemployment and uh, losses of consumer income and big impacts on government deficits. So even that short, shallow scenario was a painful one. Uh, what would be more uh, more painful, of course, would be where GDP declined continuously over, a you know, four quarters or six quarters or even eight quarters. That's what happened in uh, the early 80s and the early 90s. And, uh, and where it took much longer to get back to where we, uh, where we would have been without that recession. Um, in that case, you'd see a, a very significant increase in unemployment, probably towards 8% or, or possibly higher, and very serious uh, uh, job losses, uh, very serious economic, social, and fiscal consequences. So um, a lot depends also on how policymakers respond when the first signs of recession become evident. Uh, and here again is where I think we could have some real self-inflicted misery. Um, right now, the Bank of Canada is still indicating it's going to increase interest rates further. Uh, so we would be going into the recession, and instead of trying to offset it with lower interest rates, which is what you'd normally expect, you'd still have the Bank of Canada with its foot firmly on the brake, 
with higher interest rates, even as the recession starts, because they are really focused on one thing and one thing alone. And that's getting inflation down from 7% to 2%. 2% is their desired target. And that's a long way for inflation to move. And it isn't going to happen after one or two quarters of, you know, roughly zero growth. It's going to take years to get inflation back to 2%. So if the Bank of Canada literally continues to increase interest rates, even as the economy is shrinking, then we're really going to be uh, in a mess. Um, similarly with governments, governments have the, the fiscal policy at their disposal, that is their taxing and spending decisions. And uh, some of them will be more obsessed with, you know, cutting back spending and balancing the budget than with trying to prevent a recession. And again, that, that would make it e- even worse. So, you know, I'm starting to see this confluence of, uh, of negative influences that makes me think it, it could very well be a rather se- severe downturn. I want to talk about interest rates in just a second, but first, because you segued so nicely into policymakers, it was a couple of weeks ago now that Finance Minister, among other hats she wears, uh, Christia Freeland, gave an economic update looking forward from the government's point of view. Now, I don't think she said the R word, but summarize what she said and, and what you and maybe other economists took away from that. Yeah, she certainly was signaling that tougher times are ahead. She did not use the R word in that uh, in that address, but in other uh, in other speeches she's given, uh, she's been even more explicit that uh, you know we're headed for a slowdown certainly. Um, and you know her view was you know get 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 ready for tough times uh, and think about what's most important in your family budget and uh, and you know he, she said the government will do some things to try to help Canadians but she was dampening expectations about how much assistance people can expect from the federal government uh, saying you know number one we can't help everyone. And then number two, she was kind of buying this line that by helping people, you know, say you lose your job, you get more access to employment insurance, you get money to spend. There's a theory out there that actually makes inflation worse. I I don't accept that theory, but there is a theory that anything the government does to help people at this point will uh, make inflation worse and therefore lead the Bank of Canada to increase interest rates even further. She's been trying to walk a bit of a fine line there. There have been some targeted supports. There's an increase in the GST tax credit. Uh, she announced a new uh, kind of working incomes uh, benefit. It's like a wage supplement for low-income workers. There's a bit of assistance for renters. So it's not like they're doing nothing, but I would say they are not doing enough. And she's clearly signaling that they're going to be a bit tight-fisted uh, again, even if we go into a recession. One of the things that I have trouble grappling with is the negative indicators that appear right alongside what I would assume, again, not being an economist, are positive indicators. You know, we keep hearing about how uh, recessions will lead to job losses. As I understand it, job numbers have been pretty good and remained so, right? Yes, they are. So in that regard, we're starting from a good position. And this this is certainly beneficial. You know, we have an unemployment rate, uh, 5.2% is the latest uh, official data. Um that's not the lowest in history. It's kind of equivalent to where we were about the time the pandemic started. Um, and we've got, in, in that regard, you know, a lot of employers are are trying to find new workers. There's, you know, the, the statistics on job vacancies, for example, which employers advertise uh, are quite... Yes, I keep hearing yeah. it's a strong labor market and wages are rising. Yeah, wages are rising on one level in the sense, you know, the average wage increases four or five percent a year. 
you know, it was 4% a year before the pandemic. So that's not such a jump up. But what has changed is inflation, of course. We've gone from 2% inflation to 7% inflation. So in real terms, that is what you can actually buy with your wages. Wages are falling and falling quite rapidly. So, um, you know, I would, I'd be cautious about assuming that there's a labor shortage. I don't like that term. I'd be cautious about assuming that wages are booming. They clearly are not. And I certainly would reject the idea that it's wages that are causing this inflation. This is the argument you hear nowadays, even from the Bank of Canada. The governor, Tiff Macklem, made that argument very strongly um, uh, recent in recent speeches that this is all because of a tight labor market, overheated uh, employment, and rising wages. And that's absolutely wrong. The, the inflation we're experiencing is still a hangover from the pandemic and the supply chain disruptions and the energy price shock and, um, uh, you know, droughts and floods in agricultural areas. That's why the price of lettuce is shooting up, not because not because the workers at Loblaws got a big raise. So, um uh, you know, we, we're, we're starting from a relatively strong position in the labor market and that helps, but we're still going to see unemployment increase. We're still going to see hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Canadians lose their work if we go into a serious recession. It means the unemployment rate will go from 5% to 8%. If we were starting at 8%, then it would go from 8% to 11%, which is even worse, of course. So, but that doesn't negate the fact that we're heading into a serious downturn and then it's going to cause serious pain. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. and We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. I'm sure this is one of these obvious questions that's way more complex than I realize, but you mentioned that the Bank of Canada has signaled there may be more interest rate hikes to get inflation under control. If the interest rate hikes are driving us towards a recession, why would they do this? And honestly, and I'm asking this for probably most of the listeners— how much higher can interest rates go and how much can Canadians take of that? Like, this is impacting mortgages every day right now. Right. Yeah. If you have a variable rate mortgage, uh, which many Canadians do, then you're already paying for this. And what what that means is you're paying hundreds of dollars more per month towards your mortgage than you were a year ago. And uh, that means the money you've got to spend on other stuff uh, isn't there anymore. So you're cutting back on your other expenses. So that's one way that the higher interest rates bite. All that money now goes to the banks instead of going to uh, buy goods and services and groceries and restaurant meals and travel and, and appliances, etc. Another way they bite is any, any kind of big durable purchase. That could be a home, obviously, or a car or a business investment. Uh, they become more expensive because uh, you, you're paying higher debt charges. So we're already seeing a big downturn in the construction sector, for example, and much business investment uh, cooling off. So that's another way it hurts. Uh, another way it hurts is just through expectations. If people think that a recession is coming, and most people do, well, they start cutting back on their spending. You know, even Finance Minister Freeland said uh, her family uh, canceled their Disney Plus <laughs> subscription, right? She infamous got, quote now. Infamous quote, but uh, it is in a way real. That's exactly what 
families do. If they think tough times are coming, they're going to stop spending and batten down the hatches. Well, guess what? If every household in Canada stops spending and battens down the hatches because they fear a recession, that's just created the recession that they fear. So these expectations can easily become self-fulfilling. So uh, for all those reasons, uh, the interest rates are are having an effect, and the biggest effect is still to come, um, not just because the bank has said, they haven't just hinted, they have said they're going to increase interest rates further. Um, so that, that, that will make it worse, because we haven't even felt the full impact of the interest rate increases, the six that they've put in place uh, so far. Now, why would they do this, even though it pushes the economy into a recession? Um, they actually think that increasing unemployment is how to solve the inflation problem. So it sounds bizarre, and ultimately it is upside down. How would that work if that was correct? Yeah, well, what they say is um, that it, it starts from this assumption that, that I've already critiqued, that inflation is a result of a tight labor market and rising wages. Okay, so if that is the assumption, then what do you do? You've got to loosen the labor market. That means create unemployment. So Governor Tiff Macklin came out explicitly uh, the other day, a speech in Toronto, and said, we are going to increase unemployment. We have to in order to reduce wage pressures. He says the unemployment rate is too low. He actually said the unemployment rate is too low. We have to get it back up there. Yay, yay us. We're going to get the unemployment rate back up there. So it, it is perverse. It is absolutely perverse. And I think we need to find better ways of managing inflation other than deliberately throwing hundreds of thousands of Canadians out of work. Are there indicators that we can look for in certain sectors that can tell us, you know, what's in store for us and what we should expect? And mm. I ask this um, specifically because the news cycle has been dominated for about a week or so uh, with layoffs across the tech sector, right? Twitter, obviously, that might be uh, an edge case, but, you know, Facebook, uh, Apple has a hiring freeze as we speak today on Friday. Amazon announced massive layoffs. Is mm -hmm. that... Um, is that a bad sign? And, and if not tech, what other markets are indicators for what's to come? Yeah, well, the tech sector obviously experiencing a bloodbath. Uh, Amazon, that one particularly stands out because that is not a fly-by-night, you know, kind of dot-com bubble-type company. Amazon is a real business. It's the fifth largest employer in the world and have experienced huge growth. So even just stopping hiring at Amazon would be big news, but laying off tens of thousands of people is uh, is worse news. Typical leading sectors, Jordan, that you would look for kind of the canary in the coal mine kind of theory. Uh, one would be construction activity that uh, often leads um, big swings in the economy. Uh, construction starts booming, then that leads to a broader expansion. Construction starts contracting, which it is right now. That can lead to a broader contraction. Uh, business investment spending is another one that tends to lead uh, what happens uh, in uh, in the rest of the economy. Consumer spending usually follows. Usually, um, you know, consumers get the money and then they go out and spend it. So if the overall economy is expanding, then consumers have more to spend and that reinforces the expansion. So usually the first signs are not, at least in the kind of day-to-day -day consumer spending, Sometimes the spending on, on obviously, homes, uh, but other durable goods like autos, uh, et cetera, uh, can be an, an early sign. Um, you can also look to financial markets themselves. You know, the, the, the stock markets, the derivative markets, the foreign exchange markets, the energy futures markets, those are places where, where financiers basically gamble and place bets on what they think is going to happen in the future. 
And they tend to react very quickly to changes in expectations. And we've already seen that happen. We've seen a big downturn in uh, equity prices and in the Toronto stock market and others around the world. Energy prices uh, have come down because of the impact of an expected global recession on energy demand. Uh, other specular markets, think about cryptocurrency, you know, that's uh, in total meltdown, total meltdown right now. And, you know, that in and of itself wouldn't cause a recession. Crypto was always a sideshow. But um, you are, I, I think, seeing a, a, a shift in expectations and in liquidity and in the, the fear factor, uh, if you like. And that, as we saw in the 2008-2009 crisis, that alone can cause the system to, to rupture. So uh, in those leading indicators, they're all negative right now. They're all flashing red. So it is really hard to believe that we're somehow going to achieve a perfect soft landing guided to a low inflation nirvana. Unlikely. In history, the only way to get inflation down as much as it uh, is pegged to come down to meet the Bank of Canada's target, the only way to do it is to have a big, painful recession. I know that we're not talking here about uh, gigantic purchases like houses and cars, but in terms of consumer spending, I wonder if the next couple of months will be a good indicator just because I've seen, and, and you know, maybe these are speculative articles, but I've seen a couple of surveys and articles about Canadians planning to spend less on Christmas gifts. Obviously, uh, as we speak, Black Friday is coming up, whether that's more American or not. Is this a good time of year to gauge how nervous uh, Canadians are about their money? Potentially, Jordan, although, you know, there are still sources of strength for that kind of day-to-day -day discretionary consumer spending. Um, one of them is the job market itself is, is still, as we talked about in Canada, relatively strong. And it will take, uh, it will take, typically it takes 12 to 18 months for higher interest rates to have an impact that's visible in, in the job market and other uh, real economic indicators. And we haven't seen that yet. In fact, the October jobs data that we got from Statistics Canada uh, was a blockbuster. 108,000 new jobs created in Canada. I was, I was shocked by that in a positive way. Um, and then we've also got this funny uh, experience where household savings in Canada uh, really went up during the pandemic. You know, and I know, again, that sounds a bit odd because we were in this big crisis. But uh, think about it. Uh, first of all, you couldn't go out and spend, right? Uh, restaurants and stores and travel, et cetera, was all off the books. You could buy you know, home electronics to watch Netflix on and uh, um, building materials to renovate your basement with. Those things did keep spending, but a lot of other spending was curtailed. Then you also had those emergency income supports, the CERB and the other programs like that, that uh, were very effective in protecting Canadians' incomes as the lockdowns were in place. So those two things, the income protections and the reduction in spending, meant um, Canadians saved tens of billions of dollars above and beyond what they normally save. And that money is still sitting there. So for a little while anyways, consumer spending can be uh, powered by drawing on those unusual savings from the pandemic. So I would not expect to see the first signs of the of a recession in a, you know, a sudden drop off in consumer spending. On the other hand, as those other things, you know, construction, business investment, financial uh, market uh, chaos, et cetera, as they start to take their toll, that's when you will see consumers uh, reining back what they're buying. And then that reinforces the negative momentum of the whole economy. So last question, I was going to ask you originally uh, for your prediction. I think we've already gotten that. Um, but I will ask you this then, because you've kind of 
done a pretty good critique of policymakers' approach to this. What would you do? Nobody wants a recession. Um, all of a sudden, they give you the reins to Canada's economic policy. What do you do to avoid one? Yeah, nobody wants a recession, and nobody wants 7% inflation forever either. So uh, in that regard, it's a tough balancing act, and I appreciate that. Uh, I think that we could have done a better job or, and could do a better job managing that post-pandemic inflation without throwing the whole economy into a recession. And we've we've published some work through our centre uh, jointly with the Canadian Labour Congress, you know, to explore some options in that regard. One of them would try to be more tailored in terms of the restrictions on credit rather than just higher interest rates across the board for everyone. Uh, put limitations, including through things like uh, prudential lending requirements or the uh, things that the CMHC uh, does, put restrictions on sectors where higher credit expansion have been negative, like in the housing the housing sector and so on. Uh, secondly, some of those root causes of the post-pandemic inflation, things like supply chain disruptions, transportation bottlenecks, uh, the uh, energy shock from OPEC and, and the oil producers after the Ukraine war, uh, even housing itself. Those are all things that can be addressed through long-term investments like affordable housing, renewable energy, which OPEC doesn't control, um, investments in infrastructure, uh, and so on. Part of it, uh, I think, also has to be protecting Canadians against that, you know, modest, moderate inflation uh, until its underlying causes are addressed. And, and this is where some of the things the government's been doing for low-income people are, make a lot of sense. Uh, ensuring that workers' wages uh, keep up. If your wages keep up, then 5 6 7% inflation is not the end of the world. Um, and you can take some time to get inflation back down. Um, so I think that a more balanced approach is possible. I, I'm not optimistic that, uh, that the folks at the Bank of Canada are going to be influenced by this. In fact, they've hardened their language lately. Uh, saying, you know, it's all about wages in the labor market and we're going to we're going to get un unemployment up to solve the problem. And I, I think that's a misreading of the causes. And I think it's going to impose unnecessary harm on a lot of Canadians. Well, uh, kind of hope you're wrong about that. Mm. But uh, thank you for running us through this. And thank you for explaining it so well. Um, I understand a lot more about the push and pull going on. So thank you, Jim. Well, Jordan, I hate to sound so pessimistic, but, you know, uh, that's they say economics is the dismal science, and these days we're living up to our reputation. Jim Stanford, economist and director at the Centre for Future Work. That was the big story. I'm so happy to be back, but I want to give a huge shout-out to Fatma Syed and the team at the Narwhal for bringing us such amazing climate stories over the past week while I was off. It was so good to hear stories about the climate and the environment that don't just sink into a spiral of depression. So many thanks to them and many thanks to so many of you who wrote in or left messages to tell us how much you liked it. Especially Carolyn, who called Fatma the best podcast host ever. So there's that. I'm just kidding. I think Fatma's also the best podcast host ever. I'm just glad I still have a job. You can find The Big Story at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can talk to us on Twitter if it still exists by the time you hear this, at thebigstoryfpn. If Twitter is gone forever, you can always write to us, hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. And hey, if social media dies, maybe we'll pick up the phone again and you can call us and leave a message, 416 Nine three five five nine three five. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. It's great to be back, and we'll talk tomorrow.